Welcome to Journey to Inner Wisdom. I'm Crystal Cotto Sullivan, Wisdomologist and your host. I've been talking about the many facets of, of the journey to inner wisdom. This journey takes many turns and there are sometimes detours, invitations, forks in the road. Sometimes we're prepared and sometimes we have choices to make along the journey and sometimes we're just asleep. <laughs> On this journey, I hope to talk with people about how their journey has led them to discover their wisdom. I will talk about topics that I hope will challenge us to go deeper and stretch further into the wisdom of each of our journeys. We are all on a journey in this life, but it takes awareness and being awake to discover the wisdom in our everyday lives. I hope you will join me on this journey. Today, we are focusing on relationships because it's February and Valentine's Day is next week. Over the years, I've heard many people say, and I've said it myself many times, too bad there isn't a manual about how to be in an intimate relationship. Generally, we ask this question when we're going through a tough, a tough time. The good news is that today there are manuals that can help us to be in great relationships and be our best self in the relationship. Over the past 50 to 60 years, there have been advances in psychology, sociology, neuroscience, and even quantum physics and more that have brought about a deeper understanding about how we get into relationships, what happens to our brain in relationships, how energy impacts our relationships, and why some relationships work and some do not. In a sense, we have evolved in our way of knowing how to be in intimate relationships, as well as how to do an, infant, an intimate relationship. And so the tools are available to have the relationship of your dreams, as the relationship coach John Sullivan would say. Today, I am excited to have a conversation about these books, these manuals that have become part of, that can become a part of your dream relationship toolbox. And that conversation is with none other than my resident relationship coach and relationship wizard, John Sullivan. <laughs> Welcome, John. <laughs> You're a resident wizard. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, about relationships. I'm not talking about cooking <laughs> or things like that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> so before we get into our conversation, John, let me just give people um, a little bit of a, a bio on you. So John was a teacher and a coach at both high school and college level. He earned a master's in counseling psychology at the Adler School of Professional Psychology and then was personally trained by Dr. Harville Hendricks as both an Imago relationship therapist and as a Getting the Love You Want workshop presenter. He has been giving workshops and seeing clients around the states and Canada in the past 33 years. To quote John, I prefer the term coach to therapist or counselor as the connotation around those words is that there's something wrong with the person. Whereas as a coach, there's nothing wrong with my players, but sometimes what they are doing is not working. I believe the same is true of relationships. So welcome again, John. Nice <laughs> to see so. you. <laughs> it's good to see you too. I'll see you. So John, there are many books out there. Uh, as I said, there are manuals out there. So there are many books out there um, that are self-help books, and it can be overwhelming to stand in front of the the, the self-help section or the relationship section in the bookstore. So where do people start? So today we're going to give you a quick review of five books that provide really good information and tools to move your relationship forward, no matter at what stage of you are in your relationship, the good, the bad, or the ugly. So 
let's look at these books. Well, John, first, do you want to comment on them? It's like, you know, there's such a plethora of information on relationships today. And um, can, it can be overwhelming, first right? First thing I want to do is just explain to people that you look like you're behind an ice cube. <laughs> and it, that is the, uh, that no, no, you're, you're, it's perfect. But what is it? Tell, tell people what it is. Well, it's the snowdrop that is growing in my garden in on this February day. It actually came up in January and um yeah so she took a picture of that and that, it's that's always the I think it, I think it, I love it it's always the first sign of spring for me so you know I talked about my favorite day being um the uh winter um equinox solstice oh equinox I don't know equinox. 21st of December anyway equal so the shortest equal shortest day of the year yeah so the shortest day of the year because the days start to get longer oh no it's is it the souls oh boy anyway <laughs> whatever it is it's december 21st the shortest day of the year in the northern hemisphere and it means the days are going to get longer and my the, the the next day after that is really um when i notice my snowdrops because that's the first sign of spring for me to have flowers in the garden in february who knew anyway okay john now you've totally distracted me um i just wanted you to comment about you know, there's so much information out there that it can be overwhelming for people, right? Yeah, for sure. So we're going to look at five books. Do you want to do? You, do you want to uh, name the five books? And sure. Then, yeah, okay, why don't you so, go through them, and then uh, and then we'll talk. We'll go through the five, and then we'll talk about them. Okay. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna name the five now, but we're also going to um, list these five in the summary uh, uh, on the podcast and the YouTube video. So the first one is getting the love you want. And that's Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about how that book impacted our relationship. The second one is Loving Bravely by Alexandra Solomon. Um, just an amazing book. The third one is The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And we've used this book a lot over the years. It, it was a revelation. The fourth one is The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. And that's John Gottman and Nan Silver. And then the fifth one is called Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. So let's okay. start. Let's start with the first one, John. I'm going to let you um, do the talking for most of these. I know I'm going to jump in for one of them. But well, um, tell us about the first one, Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks and his wife Helen LaKelly Hunt. I'm biased, but I I really do think that's the best. They have the best understanding we have of relationships in today's world, and <clears throat> I think most of you know our story, or some of you, if you don't. Uh, Fifteen years into our marriage, uh, Chris and I separated, and uh, the relationship was basically over. And it was really my wife Crystal who read the book first. Uh, and one of the points uh, they make is that. What often happens is we get rid of our partner, but we keep the problem and take the same problem into the next relationship. So that made sense to both of us. So then we uh, decided to to take a look at our relationship. And, and anyway, here we are. But um, Harville and, and, and Helen uh, wrote the book, uh, Getting Love You Want, in 1988. There's been a couple of other editions later, but the first book was 1988. And then... Uh, I started training with Harville in 1989, but their key insight, and they've, they've built a whole uh, 
system around relationships, their key insight was, uh, they call it imago relationship therapy. And imago simply is a Latin word for image. And what they're saying is that kids, all of us, uh, we we have form an image or an imprint of the person who loves me, who takes care of me, who meets all my needs. It's unconscious, but we have that that image of that person, or persons, persons who took care of us as kids. But inevitably, because your parents weren't perfect, we're not perfect, I'm not perfect, that image has both positive and negative traits. And 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 so what happened their key insight, I think, was that when when you go out looking for a partner, a real life uh, partner, an intimate in an intimate relationship, that image or imprint you already have in your head of the person who loves me, who takes care of me, meets all my needs, is uh, is close to the surface. It's right there. It impacts who we uh, choose as a partner. And <clears throat> you know, two questions I like to ask couples. The first is, why are you with this person? Like, why am I with Crystal? Why is anybody with anybody? Because most men have met other women by the time they want to get into a serious relationship and most women have met other other guys so why the two of you it's not a bad question you know why is anybody with anybody but the other question is can you remember when you first met your partner and everybody I asked that question to can everybody I can't remember what I did yesterday but I can remember 50 years ago when I met Crystal so what's going on I think unconsciously we just recognize something that's familiar I can't prove it but I see it every day but I think that's their key insight and then uh, what it does, what it helps, is that <clears throat> troubling aspects of a relationship start to make more sense. If you realize that, it, 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 when we say uh, negative traits or needs that didn't get met, it, it doesn't have to be traumatic, it doesn't have to be dramatic, it's just as parents, we really haven't yet learned how to meet all of our children's needs. And it's always a subjective perception of the child. You know, I could feel uh, as a kid that I wasn't important or wasn't uh, heard or listened to. And then I take that into the relationship. So I'm going to use Crystal and I as an example. It, it's, it's an oversimplification, but see if it makes sense to you. But once couples understand that, then puzzling aspects of the relationship, I think, start to make more sense. And you, in fact, you start to see your, your partner as your healer, not as somebody just trying to drive you crazy. But <clears throat> it's a reframe. It has You have to see it a little bit differently. So I'm again, I'm oversimplifying here, but if I go back, Crystal growing up, her, her dad as a young kid was alcoholic and she felt he wasn't there for her emotional needs. Who does she marry? Me, who grew up in a boarding school where I didn't learn how to deal with feelings very well. So she repeats the same pattern. It looks totally different because I'm not an alcoholic, but it's the same wound. I was not there for emotionally. And obviously, if this stays unconscious, if we're unaware, it causes problems. But as we start to do the Imago work and, and work on a relationship, and become more conscious, then, <clears throat> in fact, as I stretch to meet her very legitimate feeling needs, I not only met her needs, but I started to heal a part of me that was kind of growing up. So to me, it, it really is a win-win. But you have to be aware, you have to be conscious. So I don't know, that's, uh, that, and then there's a whole system built around that, <clears throat> but that's their key insight, that <clears throat> the past does affect the present, and, and don't be surprised if it's those negative traits that cause the problems in a relationship, because they tap into needs you didn't, <clears throat> you didn't get met well growing up, and now guess what, your partner doesn't meet them very well either.
So, so the really um, cool thing about their book is that it's not just theoretical because there are some really great um, exercises in the book for couples as well, right? And yeah. when you when you're coaching couples, you use a lot of those exercises, correct? Yeah. Harvard and Helen are they're brilliant, and 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 like I say, I'm a coach. I didn't invent hockey; I can coach it. I didn't invent amalgam relationship therapy, but I can coach it. These these are the experts, but. They're very structured. Now, I know your relationship is one thing, but they they divide up into pieces and have you look at the different pieces. And those are the exercises that Crystal are talk, is talking about. So in the, in the back of the book, I think there's 19 exercises, a lot of which I have couples actually work through and talk to each other about, and then we'll uh, discuss them in the office. They're very helpful. Cool. Okay, so let's shift to the second book. So the second book is called Loving Bravely by... Alexandra Solomon. And um, going through this book, um, it's it's really, for me, uh, like a workbook. Um, um, I would suggest working with your partner, but if your partner is unwilling to work through it, um, do it go through it yourself to increase your self-awareness and your relational awareness. I'm going to read an excerpt from the book right now because uh, the thing I really, um, that really piqued my interest in this particular book is that she talks about the need to be aware, self-aware, and then she talks about relational awareness. So I'm going to read a little bit from um, the book here. So Alexandra Solomon says, connecting in an intimate way with someone else must start from within. It must come from a deep and courageous relationship with yourself. Loving somebody else requires us to be courageous, vulnerable, and real. And you cannot be real with someone else unless and until you can be real with yourself. I continue, I don't believe you should simply wait around for that special someone to pop into your life. I believe that your bravest and best work is to look at yourself, understand yourself, and grow yourself that, so that you can be that special someone. When we pay attention to and take responsibility for what we do love, we attract others. We attract partners who are simply curious, compassionate, and willing to be vulnerable. We create intimate relationships that go the distance, intimate relationships that value deep and authentic connections. So she would say that relational awareness is understanding in a deep and heartfelt way how we show up for love. So that's where the self-awareness comes in. Because if I don't know how I'm showing up, like, who am I bringing to the party? <laughs> and then relational self-awareness, she would say, is the cornerstone of all healthy, intimate relationships. So the subtitle for this book is called 20 Lessons of Self-Discovery to Help You Get the Love You Want. I love that the last little bit is this same as the title of uh, Harville and Helen's book, Get the Love You Want. So, and there are four parts to the book um, and each part has five lessons. So it's, it's a fairly easy read. Um, each lesson is not that long. And at the end of each lesson, there are exercises to do really, to me, really well thought out exercises. So the four sections in the book are self-reflection. So really looking um, at what has brought me here. It's really about looking at my past and reflecting on my life story and the beliefs that I, I have about uh, relationships, about myself, about the world. It's the kind of stuff that I do in my, my work with my clients. 
And then it's self-awareness. It's like, who am I now? And reflecting on who I am now. Self-expression then is the third section. And that's really about um, being in touch with what I need and what are my heart's desires. And then self-expansion, like moving beyond myself, because, you know, it's great to be self-aware, but how do I move beyond myself? How do I relate then to other people? So it's really, um, to me, it's a really excellent book. And and just to be really practical, I want to um, just go into one of the lessons a little bit more deeply. And it's uh, in lesson 15 and it's, and it's seven traps and seven reaches. So moving beyond the trap. And I'm just going to kind of go through it quickly. So you kind of get an idea of how practical um, her exercises are. And a lot of it is really about being curious and about um, just shifting and reframing how we look at situations. So here's the trap. When you say to your partner, you need to. So either you need to put your phone down to listen to me, or you need to pick up your boots, or you need to whatever. The reach is, rather than you need to, it's like, I feel so, well, I feel so left out when you're on your phone and I'm right there and you could be talking to me. So it becomes about what's going on for me. So that's where I need to be in touch with what I need. Second trap, you make me feel. Okay, nobody can make me feel anything, right? But what if I, the reach is, when you do X in this situation, I feel Z. So I could say, well, you make me feel really like insignificant when you shrug your shoulders. Well, when you shrug your shoulders, when I tell you about the mess I made up at the bank, I feel like I did something wrong and am to blame. So it's shifting from you make me feel to in this situation, what happens to me, this is what happens to me. Again, it's taking the focus off you and putting it on me. Take so then, yeah, <clears throat> good one. <clears throat> the third one is <clears throat> the third one is, and you've probably heard people talk like this. Well, you know, when you're feeling unsure about how to respond to something and you're really kind of anxious about it, it's about the, the language they're using is you instead of I. So it's like you're disembodied. It's like you're talking about somebody else. They say, it's like, you know, when you feel sad after your dog died, it's like, my dog just died. Why am I not talking about me? So it's about, so the reaches embody what's going on. I, I feel devastated and, and my dog has just died. It's like, take on the I rather than kind of separating yourself from yourself. The fourth trap is, why did you, why did you, why did you lie to me? Well, that puts somebody on the defensive. The reach is, what kept you from telling me the truth? Hmm. So it's not, it's not an attack. The fifth trap has to do with shoulds or shouldn'ts. And shoulds or shouldn'ts create a barrier. It's also a sign that there's some unmet need or want. It's like, I, I need something, but I can't say it. So the reach is, voice what I want. So, you know, um, well, you, like you, you shouldn't be out there shoveling snow because like it's, you're going to, you're going to hurt yourself. And it's like, you know what? I, I, I'm really feeling anxious because you just got over a cold and I don't want you out there shoveling snow. Let's call somebody else. So 
just a little bit of a shift. So rather than, it, it, because the trap often sounds like an attack. Here's another, always or never. Always or never cuts off the cuts off the conversation. Your brain just shuts down because there's no other possibility. Can't argue. All always, never. How about often, lately, rarely? It seems soften your language a little bit. Nothing is never or always. And the seventh trap, the last one is, how can I get my partner to? Okay, that sounds pretty coercive, doesn't it? Trying to get somebody to do something that you need or want in an indirect way. What about if it was, well, what do I really need or want in this situation? And to name it, to be honest about it, and to be vulnerable. And so to connect with your emotions and tell your partner, name it, connect with it, and then choose to tell. So you can see how the, how the reach is really about being in touch with my needs being embodied by the eye. So that's just an example of one of the chapters and there are 20 chapters. It's really um, an excellent book in terms of practical steps that you can do, just like the exercises in the first book. Okay, John, let's shift to- well, Let me just, oh, just sorry. say that because the Hendricks book is definitely about uh, couples and this is, is more about being the right person rather than yes. trying to, like you said, trying to find the right person. You have to be the right person. And these are 20 exercises to help you become or be a, a better person, which is what we're all trying to be. And it all it always it goes back to communication. I'm gonna yep. in doing this, uh, that was sort of my insight as, as I did all five of these, is that it, it all boils down to to learn to communicate. And, and what you said is rather than you, 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 it's when you do this, here's what's going on for me. It, it's that's the right. high statement that's more helpful for sure. That's right. That's right. Okay, so let's shift to the five love languages. I love this book. I do too. It's, it's, it's a great. Been a, book. Yeah, we we've uh, we, we read that years ago, and and Gary Chapman he he likens the way we give and receive love to languages. So if I'm speaking English, Crystal's French, you're German, somebody else Spanish, Italian, harder to communicate. It's not impossible, but it makes it harder. And so he he likens the 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 way we we give and receive love to the five uh, he he calls them uh, five the five love languages so physical touch words words of affirmation quality time receiving gifts and acts of service okay so uh, quality time saying uh, nice things I love you you're great whatever whatever acts of service actual gifts and then uh, physical touch and I had a great a great example in the office here just last week uh the guy <laughs> they're 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 just newly no I think they have a, a child but they're fairly newly married but he was you know they were in the process of buying building a new house he was renovating the the other the house they were in to sell and he worked a full-time job he was working his tail off trying to show her how much he loved her Mm. when we so acts of service so yep. when, guess what her love language was quality time oh you know? boy <laughs> and and so what they when they talked about it, and they realized that he didn't she did not want him to stop working on the house building the house working but she just needed some time and once he understood that was her primary love language he was very open to that <laughs> he let him stop working an hour too early <laughs> 
So he didn't have to work so hard, but it was a great example where they were just miscommunicating because she was upset at him uh, spending so much time and he couldn't understand why she didn't appreciate it because he was, that was the way he showed, it was showing his love by the acts of service. So it was a, it was a great little example, but it's a great little book. Uh, and, and uh, it just helps to know uh, what each other's love languages. And I'm, I'm probably sharing secrets out of, out of the office here, but Crystal's uh, primary <laughs> love language is gifts. And, you know, she grew up poor on a farm, probably didn't have a whole lot of gifts. So if I just get her a coffee, that's great. And that's how she shows love. We have a big garden. She's always giving stuff out. She's making clothes for people. She's making granola for somebody this morning. <laughs> She's always giving things. But here's my point. We read that book 20, 25 years later, ago. I still, Crystal, I have to consciously, consciously think that's your primary love language because it's not mine. That's right. And so I have to consciously think, hey, can I get her a coffee? Can I do this? Can I do it? And, and she would say back then, because one of mine is showing acts of service. She says, keep the acts of service coming, but how about a few more gifts? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. I thought yours was physical touch. What is for, for receiving, but giving right. is uh, a lot of, uh, I was good with the kids, good with the, right. uh, you know, so acts of service. But, uh, you know, it, it's still, I, I, I think I'm not too bad at it, but consciously thinking that, it, it, you know, just a little gift for you because you don't expect it. That's the key, I think, right, for a gift right. is. And, and, and I have to tell you, as a kid, I got a lot of gifts. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. For me, that's yeah. why you like it so much. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why, I, but I do. And I like to give gifts. And I would always, if I had any money, I would always get other people's stuff. And yeah, you so, always do that. You still do that. You're always, always, always giving uh, to people. Yeah. But, but you, the, the key is, too, that what our language is is not natural it's not natural for me to give you your language i don't always understand your language because it's physical touch so i have to think okay walk by you in the kitchen and it's like just kind of brush your back or, yeah. or whatever so it's yeah. it, it's it's a challenging book but it's it's such a revelation and yeah. it, and it's an easy read for people to yeah. um to read it was that. a real eye opener for that couple because they, they it was so great. clear that he was trying, she was trying his love, but it took up all his time. And what she needed, just some time. And and they ended up, even if they had a coffee every day, or, or 10 or 20 minutes, a half hour together, that that, that satisfied her, but she needed that. So. Yeah, that's great. So okay, it, John, how about the seven principles for making marriage work? John okay, Gottman so John Gottman. Gottman is a big uh, guru in relationships too. He's been around almost as long as Hendrix, I think. But he he has an institute out in uh, Washington. He's the director and founder of the at the a laboratory at the University of Washington, Seattle, where he says for 16 years I spearheaded the most extensive innovative research ever into marriage and divorce. So he actually has a lab where he'll bring a couple in and they'll wire them up and check their heart rate and blood pressure and and have them live, you know, spend the night or the day or I don't know, all, all the thing, but they watch and they, um, uh, it's it's much more scientific. And, and to be very honest, that's one of the weaknesses of the Imago system because we, do, we don't have that kind of uh, scientific uh, re reflection because for example, I don't check up on people five, 10 years later, I don't, but, but they do. And so he, after, um, 
number of years working with hundreds of couples. I think his first book was published in 1999. So what's that, 20 some years ago? He says, uh, in studying hundreds of couples over the years, he's distilled the seven principles for making marriage work. And <clears throat> again, not a difficult book to read and, and good examples. He, he talked about enhancing, so principle number one, enhance your love maps, sort of the, the, the Gary Chapman thing, knowing how you give and receive love. Nurture your fondness and admiration. So don't be afraid to say that to your partner. I, I love you or uh, that kind of thing. I like this one, turn, turn toward each other instead of away. So mm -hmm. if, if I uh, say, use that phone thing, if Crystal comes up to me and I'm on my phone, if I stay on my phone, I'm turning away from her. Hmm. Whereas turning towards is, oh, what do you need or what do you want or what's going on for you? So you, it's turning towards rather than turning away. Uh, <clears throat> let your partner influence you. I think I'm pretty good at this. You've influenced me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. And then th I found this interesting. <clears throat> uh, number five and six, he, he goes on. Let me just read this. He says, uh, he says, there are two kinds of marital conflict. We have found that all marital conflicts, ranging from mundane, mundane annoyances to all-out wars, really fall into one of two categories. Either they can be resolved or they are perpetual, which means they will be part of your lives forever in some form of another. And so then he goes on to outline the steps uh, to, to resolve the solvable problems. And one of them is similar to what you read in the other book or said about the loving bravely is soften your startup mm -hmm. as opposed to coming in hard, mm -hmm. soften it. And he, he goes on and gives you some more. But the, the interesting thing about the perpetual problems and I just ran into one in the office just recently because uh, one person has cats and one person's allergic to cats. Well, that's not going to go away. It's, you know, it's how are they going to deal with that? And, and he, he says uh, around, he has a whole chapter about uh, getting out of gridlock. He calls the perpetual problems. People can get into gridlock. He says, remember that you don't have to solve the problem to get past gridlock, the perpetual problems. The goal is to be able to acknowledge and discuss the issue without hurting each other. And it goes back to that communication again. You got to be able to talk to each other. They're, they'll figure it out. They're a couple that they want to be with each other. I don't know what the, the solution is going to be, but they'll sort it out. But you have to be able to talk to each other in a safe way without hurting each other. And that comes back to the communication, which runs through all five books for sure. Anyway. Okay, great. And then the last one, attached. <clears throat> Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. Okay, so this one, again, you can see they're all coming at it from a little bit different angles, but the uh, attachment theory, it, it, it grew up with the uh, with children and, and parents. Mm -hmm. That kids, if they don't get attached to their parent, it can cause problems in, in the early stages. But what these two have done has taken that into the uh, relational and romantic relationship field. Mm -hmm. All right, and so they identify... Uh, three attachment styles. One is anxious, where the person is always living with a sixth sense for danger. You know, does my partner love me? Where is he? What's going on? Is he okay? What's going on? Is And you're anxious. The, the second one is an avoidant uh, attachment style, keeping love at arm's length. So your partner wants to come in and, and you, you're, you're at, at, at many different ways of keeping your partner away from you. You might 
I'm busy tonight, or I can't see you tonight, or I, I'm at work, or whatever. And then the secure attachment styles where people can get comfortably close. So anxious, avoidant, and secure. And I think those are the same for children. Is that not right, Crystal? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, that kids can be anxious, or they can be avoidant, or they can be secure. Now, here's where these things show up is, think about it, the view of intimacy and togetherness. You know, the anxious one wants more, the avoidant one wants less. The way they deal with conflict, their uh, attitude towards sex, how, how they communicate their wishes and needs, and their, their expectations from their partner, okay? So uh, their research suggests that about 50% of relationships are secure, 20% are anxious, 25% are avoidant, and the remaining three to 5% fall into a fourth less common category, combination anxious and avoidant. But again, for me, the, the key point, um, or what interesting piece of the puzzle for me was how do you get people from different attachment styles to connect? Suppose, if obviously, if, if one person is secure, it helps the anxious or avoidant. But if you get anxious and avoidant together, it can cause issues. So uh how how do you overcome that or deal with it and he's he, the, their suggestions include show basic concern for the other's well-being you know it doesn't make one right and one wrong maintain focus on the problem at hand don't again crystal talked about always and never you never do this you always do that just stay with the problem at hand refrain from generalizing the conflict again it's that all or nothing every time, always, whatever, be willing to engage and effectively communicate feelings and needs. And that's a key key piece. And I go back to after reading all these five books and, and using them, especially, uh, uh, obviously, the um, Getting the Love You Want is, is sort of, I've used it now for 30 some years. But uh, they all, all five boy books uh, focus on the importance of communication and in the Imago system, we use what we call the safe conversation process, which which is a way of talking without criticizing, listening without judging, and connecting through differences. Because we're different, you know. You won't find two people more different than Crystal and I. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> somehow we've managed to connect through those differences. So the the key, I I think uh, it's Valentine's Day. It's February. I think the key to any great relationship is is to be able to communicate with your partner, but in a way to talk without without criticizing, which Crystal mentioned about changing from I uh, changing from you to I, and then listening without judging. You just listen to your partner and, and trying to figure out what's going on over there because it's different than what's going on over you probably, and then connecting through differences. But anyway, those are the five books that uh, we've used and. Uh, found helpful and hopefully they can be helpful for you. Great. Great. I think that, um, and, and people can start with any, yes. any of the five books and, um, you know, they're, for me, they're all very practical. And I think that that's often what we need is something very practical where we can just kind of get our teeth into it and get going because we're, you know, some people are a bit shy to go to um, counseling or to go to a relationship coach or to work with a life coach to try to figure out what they're looking for in relationships. But I think that these five books are certainly, uh, they're, it, it's, they're good resources for people. And with it being Valentine's Day, it's the one time of the year that we 
kind of really focus on relationship. But the thing to remember is that it's ongoing that, okay, there might be one moment where it's like, okay, let's celebrate our relationship, but you really want to bring that into your daily and weekly life. Yeah. Valentine's day is just one day. uh, Exactly. The whole year you want to be, have your partner. I think it's in Gottman's book. They, he talks about, they, he and his wife talk about the fact that even when they were in graduate school and, you know, overwhelmed by research, they would every week, they would take time together and they just talk about their relationship and just kind of nothing, not about work, not about research, not about anything else, just to talk about the relationship. And I think one of the strengths of our relationship is that we do eat dinner together every night. Well, probably five out of seven anyway, and that we focus on one another and we have a great conversation and, and we sit longer than the dinner and we're able to have really good conversation and not not necessarily about work or anything, something we're reading or something we're wanting to do or we're planning a trip or whatever. And I think it, that's really important is to have consistent time. I know it's difficult for a lot of people if you've got little kids or you've got a tough job, but setting priorities, it's like- Well, remember when when we had the kids, what, what we would do often is because we both worked outside the home, we're both teaching or working wherever, but we're outside the home, but we try to meet for a coffee uh, before we got home, because as soon as you get home, of course, there's kids, there's, uh, you know, laundry and cooking and all that kind of stuff. So, and most of the time it was just to connect, you know, to make sure not that we didn't connect while we were home, but it, it's busy. Mm-hmm. And, but if there was anything to talk about, it was a good time. So uh, it gave us that few minutes a day um, to do that. Going back right. to the five love languages, I know both of us, quality time is important and words are important for me. Uh, I try to show love more by acts of service and then receiving love was physical. And for Crystal, it was is a gift. So we sort of, and everybody has all five, but sometimes the traffic's heavier in one, one place than another. Right. So John, do you have any upcoming events um, that, or things that you want to talk about? Well, the big one, and <laughs> it's, it's coming, but I don't know when, but I put together an automated program. It actually came out of the COVID experience that um, I did a lot of uh, Zoom uh, counseling. Mm-hmm. And you realize that you're not limited to Windsor-Essex County. You're, I was seeing clients all over the place. And so I've, I've put together, a, a, I think, 18 video um, program of uh, basically, uh, I use uh, Getting Love You Want as a textbook, but we sort of work our way through it. So in these little sessions, like we're talking about what to do and uh, better ways to do this and that and the other thing, but in the in the program, it's sort of more the how. Well, what do you have to do, and how is that going to work? And then, so that program, uh, I don't know when, Crystal. Uh, I'm hoping this month. Or no, Great. January. I guess February. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be uh, up and running this uh, this month. But maybe on your next podcast, if it's up and running, you can. Uh, like it. <clears throat> I will. I will. And people can um, check out your website, johnsullivancounseling.com. Right. And on that website, they can subscribe to your newsletter. Yep. And um, I also they have a get... free, I have a free masterclass on the website. So there's okay. a tab up at the top, free masterclass. It's about a 45, 40, 45 minute. Uh, I, I sort of uh, go through this, the, the getting love you want, sort of the whole system. So again, it's the the what, and then if people want help with the why, that was why the automated program 
uh, came for about. the how. For the how, I mean. Sorry. The how. Cool. Yeah. Okay, that's great. So I'll be sure to um, have your your website on um, the podcast page and the YouTube channel, etc. So um, Thanks, I don't Rosa. want to put you on the spot or anything, but um, what are you doing for me for Valentine's Day? Ah! Ah! <laughs> well, talk about putting me on the spot. Well, <clears throat> remember. <laughs> I know it's a secret. No, no, no. Valentine's just one day. I, I'm nice to you the whole year round. I know so, you are, but I just want to know what you're doing for Valentine's well, Day. Remember, we talked about one of those. Uh, it said, uh, "Let your partner influence you." That's how she influenced me. Now I got to think <laughs> about what am I going to do? Well, I got 14 days to do it, so I'll figure out something. For sure. Okay, John. I'm put it was me on the spot. Holy mackerel! <laughs> It was a pleasure to have you with me today on this podcast, and I'll see you later for dinner tonight. <laughs> so I hope all of you will join me next time as I continue to explore the many paths on the journey to inner wisdom.